Oh, army RTs under the booty and stand on the poop deck and whatnot. All right, talk like a pirate day. We've addressed it. It's happened. Let's... Let me talk like a pirate day, No, 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 no. We're moving on. <laughs> we're moving on. <laughs> no, we're not doing that today. Hey, everybody. I'm Rob North. And I'm Chris Miller. And welcome to episode three of Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades. Man, where's the time gone? Episode three already. Episode three already. <laughs> uh, Chris, how are you feeling today? I'm great, man. I'm super excited about this one. I me can't too, I can't me wait. Too. I've been bouncing up and down in my chair all week talking about this guy. <laughs> today we are talking about Steed Bonnet. Your boy Steed. Oh, your boy Steed. <laughs> Remix. <laughs> so, uh, Steve Bonnet is um, pretty much famous mostly for being very, very bad at piracy, which is kind of unfair because ultimately, like, he wasn't that bad. He wasn't that bad, but he kind of got caught up in some stuff and and, and I, just became like a violent lunatic. Well, I, I, ref- <laughs> I basically, I basically said in the previous episode that it wasn't so much a career in piracy as it was a long form improv exercise. Like. He, he would have made Del Close very proud because he, he, he definitely followed the fear. <laughs> he he yes-handed his way from beginning <laughs> to end. Um, so, guys, just a real quick uh, thank you for listening to our previous episodes and sending us all the feedback. I know we've had some sound issues. I think we finally have it worked out. Yeah, I might have I nailed this one down. Yeah, but only, it only took us two hours of content to get there. You're welcome. But, uh, <laughs> we uh, we want to say thanks a lot for hanging in there. Um we're going to get pretty much straight into talking about Steed. Before we do that, uh, just really quickly going over the sources for today's material. Uh, as with the previous episode, we've got a general history of the robberies and murders of the most notorious pirates by Captain Charles Johnson, uh, written in 1724. It's a book that highlights most of the uh, famous pirates of the time, possibly written by Daniel Defoe, uh, Charles Johnson being a nom de plume. We also have Steed Bonnet, Charleston's Gentleman Pirate, by Christopher Bird Downey. The Republic of Pirates by Colin Woodard, again, a book we uh, referred to in our previous episode. And Pirates, Privateers, and Rebel Raiders of the Carolina Coast by Lindley S. Butler. That's such a great name. It really is. It's the best name. It is. He, he, he was either a 20th century author or he commanded a regiment in the Civil War. <laughs> I'm not sure. So, what do you say we get straight into the story? Let's get to it. I can't wait. This is Captain so good. Bumblefuck himself. Steve it even Bonnet. starts great. I know. I know. Uh, first off, a uh, a quick apology to Kristen. I, I hope you're listening. Um, I know that your young daughter overheard me say Bumblefuck in the last episode and has been repeating it around the house ever since. And I think you've got no one to blame but yourself yeah. because we did obviously state in the preview episode this one was not for children, so this is on you. I, I, can, I can only apologize. So let's get straight into it. So Steed Bonnet. Your and boy, Steed, Steed. And Steed was his real name, S-T-E-D-E, was born in Bridgetown, capital of the English Caribbean colony of Barbados in 1688. Uh, we don't know the exact date. We only know the year. Now, Barbados at this time was the richest and most densely populated of all of England's Caribbean colonies. It was founded in 1627 and pretty quickly became the hub for England's sugar trade, with most of the island covered in sugar plantations. It had a population that was almost three-quarters slaves, and uh, this was kind of the world that Bonnet was born into. It, it hadn't changed by the time he was born. Now, we know that the Bonnet family was a wealthy landowning group, uh, they were the owners of a large sugar plantation. We don't know how big it was when it passed into Steed's hands, but when Thomas Bonnet, uh, Steed's granddad, wrote his will in 1676, he had a personal estate of some 400 acres and another 120 acres of land that he leased out. That is worth a lot of money. So these people had some cash. Yeah, Steed was doing pretty well for himself, even as a child, mm-hmm. which just makes this all the better because, like, you know this dude. Like, Steed Bonnet was like if the Kardashians decided they want to be, like, race car drivers. Exactly. Or something. Like, you have the means to do it, mm-hmm. but chances are you're going to put that, that race car right into a wall. Yeah. It, it, it So, basically, he grew up as... Barbados at this time didn't really have an aristocracy outside of the governor, a traditional aristocracy, but the new aristocracy became these landed gentry, these wealthy farmers. And... Um, so the Bonnet Plantation passed into the hands of Steed's dad, Edward, and uh, they had the plantation. They had a large townhouse in Bridgetown, the capital. Uh, Steed and his uh, his sisters 
grew up in uh, in this environment with a large staff caring for the children and keeping the house. They were, of course, slaves. And with over 120 other slaves working the plantation itself, uh, they grew up uh, being a church-going family. And according to Captain Charles Johnson Steed, quote, had the advantage of a liberal education, uh, being groomed to be part of the next generation of Barbadian gentlemen planters. Um, I think li by liberal education, in this case, he means a very uh, abundant education. I think it's... Yeah, it wasn't quite the, the same now. Not even like the political con the connotation of it, but it's not like he was going to liberal arts school. Yeah. But yeah, I think they mean liberal educations, and he, he was highly educated, not so much the kind of liberal education that Tucker Carlson bitches about every night on TV. <laughs> it's really difficult to understand a lot of things that come out of that book because just of how the way it's written. Mm -hmm. Like, even the weird punctuation, the entire book reads like a Donald Trump tweet. Yeah. Like, the whole thing. It's like, what the hell just happened? And we, and we have some quotes from the book that's gonna, that, are, that I'm going to read today. And, you'll and be able the to books are always funny. Catch an idea of it. Oh, yeah. So, uh, the Bonnet family may have also been a members of a, uh, a group called the Jacobites, uh, which were supporters of a rival claimant to the English throne, a guy named James III, uh, the nephew of the current Protestant King William. Uh, it was fairly common for, uh, among uh, qu quite a lot of the families in the colonies. Uh, they would have fled England to get away from religious persecution and uh, to put some distance between them and the current regime. Uh, although, because of their close dealings with, with the governorship in Barbados, the family's Jacobite leanings were probably pretty secret. Uh, we're also going to see some other indicators that uh, Steed and his family may have had Jacobite sympathies later, which we will get to. When Steed was seven, his dad died suddenly, uh, probably of yellow fever or typhus. Um, now, he made provisions in his will for the continuing education of his kids, including his daughters, which was pretty surprising for the time. Uh, we're actually going to find out that Steed had quite a few strong women in his life. Um, now, whether that, you know, affected... <laughs> Affected the course of his life, we don't know. Uh, now, his mother's death pretty quickly followed his dad's, and the course of the next several years, the running of the plantation and Steed's guardianship passed through several hands, uh, including to a Mrs. Janet Whetstone, who was the widow of uh, Barbados's deputy governor. Um, exactly why the plantation ended up in the hands of a woman is unknown, but, it, I mean, again, very rare for the time. I think she felt compelled to use her position uh, to intervene as a friend of the Bonnet family to pre prevent, uh, you know, predatory bachelors from acquiring the uh, the the estate. Uh, Steed's sister was of an eligible married marrying age, so I think she was trying to protect them from that. The whole situation could have rapidly devolved into like the end of the Odyssey. Mm -hmm. Then Steed would have to shoot a bunch of people with a bow and arrow, and that probably wouldn't have worked out very well for him, because as it turns out, he's pretty bad at just about everything. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Jenna Whetstone died in 1708, and Steed, now 19 years old, finally inherited the family estate in full, set about, and wasted no time setting about enlarging his wealth. Uh, at the age of 21, he began to court 16-year-old Mary Allenby, the eldest daughter of another wealthy planter, Colonel Edward Allenby, and in 1709, the next year, the two got married. Uh, and it's also in 1709 that Steed was given the rank of major in the Barbados militia. Um, Charles Johnson constantly refers to him as the major. Uh, it's not based on any sort of military experience or ability or prowess, because major is a pretty high rank. I mean, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a feel-great officer. But it's because of a 1752 law that was passed in Barbados that automatically conferred military rank and the stipend to go with it on landowning gentry based on the amount of acres you owed. You only needed 50 acres to be ranked a captain. Um, however, you know, in spite of this, Steve became quickly regarded as a man of good intellect, uh, reputable in his dealings. It seemed very much that his star was in his descendant, but things were not so hot in the Bonnet household. Yeah, they did not live happily ever after in their, their no, white picket not. fence and, and his newfound rank. No, Steed and Mary's first son died in infancy. Uh, three more kids followed, but it seems like Steed never really was able to shake the emotional blow that his, his first child's death caused. Uh, and... and the fragile state of his psyche appears to have been uh, increased by some apparent trouble in his marriage. Steed and Mary argued a lot. Yeah, since. and it, this is all conjecture. We really don't know. Nobody knows why and yeah. why the man kind of goes off the deep end here. And, and you're about to see the wheels fall off. Mm -hmm. But it's 
everybody kind of has a different take on it. Even in the books, there's three different takes yeah. of why he did it. Some are like he was bored. Some are like he hated his wife. And I, I think Johnson probably makes the most sense with, you know, he never, his upbringing was really troubled and he mm-hmm. never really developed. Well, I have the quote from Johnson here. Uh, it said that he was generally esteemed and honored before he broke out into open acts of piracy. So he was afterwards rather pitied than condemned by those acquainted with him, believing that this humor of going a-pirating proceeded from a disorder in his mind, which hath been visible in him some time before this wicked undertaking, and which is said to have been occasioned by some discomforts he found in a married state. Be that as it will, the major was but ill-qualified for the business, as not having an understanding of maritime affairs. So, we have Steed... He's already got an interest in ships and sailing because he lives in He's a... got a humor to go a-pirating. <laughs> I'm going to use that. I'm There's so a hyphen that. in that word Going well. a-pirating, yeah. <laughs> And a Y. <laughs> so, he lives in a port. He's, you know, he's dealing in trade, so he's obviously interested in ships and sailing. And he's also hearing, starting to hear the stories of the, of the famous pirates that are around this time really starting to make a name for themselves, sailing out of Nassau. Uh, people like Benjamin Hornigold, people like Edward Teach, people like Charles Vane. And he, Steed commissioned the construction of a ship. Now, we, at first I thought that he actually just bought the ship. No, he had it built. Yes, it, he, it wasn't made. He, he paid he, to have it built. Yes. I mean, this is, this is the guy buying the Lamborghini or the Harley as part of a midlife crisis, except Steed's doing it at age 28. Which I guess technically was like midlife for the oh, time. Yeah, like the expectancy lifespan. was low. But instead of like, you know, buying a sports car... Or uh, getting a tattoo or cheating on his significant other. No. He develops a humor to go a pirate. But but he also claims that he's building this ship to obtain a commission from the governor of Jamaica to go hunting pirates. He's going to be a pirate hunter. Yeah, and now he's going to pull the old switcheroo yeah. on him. Well, no, it's, it just seems like this is a midlife crisis meets get-rich-quick scheme meets, you know, <laughs> quitting and quitting your job and going and living in a van for a year. He's got to go find himself, man. Well, he's become, no, he he's can't turning, sit behind a no. desk his whole life, man. He's turning into every trust fund kid on Instagram who calls themselves a professional adventurer. Oh, <laughs> oh. Steve, he's like the all the kids are like, I can't adult today. And mm-hmm. he got the estate when he was six. Yeah. <laughs> so, enter the revenge. Steve's new ship. Which, uh, he just named it the revenge because it sounded cool. Mm-hmm. Like that's the only reason why I picked the name yeah. The Revenge. It is a cool-sounding name. Well, it's like calling your Honda Accord the Batmobile. Exactly. So <laughs> so The Revenge is a, a Bermuda-style sloop, uh, 60 tons, shallow drafted. It's a fast ship, simple sailing rig. Unlike most uh, sloops of her size, though, he, com- he commissioned a reinforced hull and deck and enough gun ports to absorb the, uh, the firepower of 12 cannons, which is a lot for a ship of this that's size. That's a lot. This is, which is a lot. This thing was very heavily armed, not to mention swivel guns. And uh, he also interestingly, interestingly commissioned lots of shelving in the great cabin because he was going to take his library to see with him. Exactly. He was, he was a bookish man. He is a gentleman and an intellectual. Uh, then comes the next part, finding a crew. So imagine <laughs> Steed. He's in his silk suit and his cravat and his powdered wig. He's in these, you know... Dockside taverns going, who wants to come be a pirate? Oh, who wants to join the revenge? <laughs> Just powdered wig, foppish dude. Like, everything about this is hilarious. Oh, yeah. But here's the thing is, he, he must have either thrown enough coin people's way or had enough of a silver tongue to convince 70 men to join his crew. Well, the one thing is, it, it's guaranteed money. Mm-hmm. And it was probably pretty good because the guy's just pulling numbers out of thin air. And mm-hmm. for somebody who clearly has no concept of ownership, yeah. somebody who really doesn't know the value of a dollar, or in this case, the value of a doubloon, yeah. pays these guys a salary. Yeah. Like, and it's, it's better than the Navy. And when you're a pirate, you may not get a salary. Like, it, there's no guarantee in piracy. And as it turns yeah. out, the yeah, one thing we keep saying, these guys, it was a short life. That's the thing, too, is he, he paid his crew a salary instead of giving them a portion of what they managed to steal and then sell. Right. Uh, Which, assumedly, they would get. Yeah. And he yeah, got 70 men to it. do it, so it must have been attractive to some people. Yeah. Um, and he and also, these were good sailors. He yeah. didn't just like get a bunch of sick oh, no. old men. Yeah. He found talented, like, and a lot of these guys were ex-pirates. Mm-hmm. Or who, privateers. Yeah. Um, so he also designed his own flag. Uh, we're going to post a fi- picture of that flag. It's pretty sweet. On social media. It's pretty good. It's pretty sweet. It's pretty good. It's 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 right up there with uh, like Ned Lowe or, or Edward Teach's flag. Yeah. So in May seventeen seventeen, 
Uh, Revenge finally slipped away from Bridgetown in the dead of night uh, without Steed bidding any sort of farewell to his family. (laughs) So long, losers. Coincidentally, in leaving Bridgetown, he already broke the law. Yes. There's a... There was a law requiring anybody leaving Barbados to register with the general secretary's office in order to obtain a pass because uh, people were leaving the island. The population was shrinking, so they're trying to cut down on that. So already an outlaw, he sails away, and he never sees Barbados or his family again. Um, So you have this this guy who's never been to sea before. He fancies himself a pirate. He's on the ship with all these rough pirates. And he's wearing like silks and all these powder. Oh, he's wigs. looking good. Yeah, he Steed out here fresh to death, baby. It's your boy Steed. <laughs> he also uh, ordered his crew to no longer use his real name. Uh, he re- asked them to refer to him as Captain Edwards. We think that he, this is to spare his family that the family he ghosted. Uh, yeah, any just shame straight up took yeah. off in, in the event of his capture. So he decided to make for the coast of Virginia, and in spite of his inexperience. Uh, his crew must have had been pretty good at what they did because they had a very good run initially, capturing four vessels in the course of m- about seven or eight days. And then they go hunting off of New York, off of South Carolina, and then Revenge sails into the Florida Straits between Florida and the Bahamas, where they happen to run into a vessel that Steed fancies. Steed sees it, orders the chase. Turns out it's a Spanish man of war. Whoops. On patrol. Whoops. Oops. <laughs> and... Uh, Steve decides to engage the ship anyway. <laughs> He's outgunned. Yeah, he goes, oh, we're, oh shit, we're good at this. Let's do it anyway. Well, the fight doesn't go well for them. Doesn't go very well. A couple dozen casualties on board the ship. The ship is heavily damaged. Steve himself is injured, knocked unconscious. Yeah, it, it's he's banged up. Mm-hmm. Like, What did they say in one of the books, and I don't remember which one it was, um, said that almost to a man, mm-hmm. they were all in bad shape. Like, every single person on the boat was hurt pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah, they barely managed to get out of there. It never says quite how they escaped. Uh, we don't know how. It's likely because the sloop was much faster than the other. Or the uh, Well, even damage, though. It's got damage to the ring. That's true. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's all I can think of. Or that... Because it's not like a man war is just going to let it go. Yeah. Once it's engaged... Mm, sorry. Nope. Sorry, pal. Yeah, we're, so we're finishing this fight. Maybe a storm, cover darkness. I, I really don't know. Who but knows? they did get away and... Like, that's kind of the only thing that ever goes kind of right for dude. Yeah. (laughs) But when Steed wakes up, what port are they putting into? (laughs) Nassau. Nassau. We love Nassau. And uh, Steed becomes a part of the flotilla of the man that we talked about last time. Edward Teach, a.k.a. Blackbeard. And Teach sees this guy that comes in with this heavily armed, well-crewed vessel. Now it's banged up. It needs to be repaired. And he sees him in a precarious position. With an unhappy crew, and they, they have a conversation that, it, if I could time travel... I would want to be there. <coughs> this Whatever, might be top like, ten. So you've got you've got this guy who clearly has no idea what he's doing, showing up like in the Bluesmobile like right before it falls apart in mm-hmm. Chicago. It's kind of like this. And now, he's going to try to bargain with Blackbeard. Like, it's we're going to talk about a lot of people on this podcast... He might be the biggest badass. Yeah, and, yep. and he's gonna try like, it's, oh, we're but they manage to strike a but they manage to strike a bargain. Well, <laughs> they, well, no, they they do. So Teach provides the crew to replace Steed's casualties. Sends over the carpenter. Sends over the surgeon. And Teach says, "Oh, I'll take command of the Revenge, which is bigger and more heavily armed than my ship. Until you recover from your injuries, you get to stay in the great cabin. You get to still pretend to be the captain. I'll handle the heavy workload." So something about this must have been attractive to Steve. Well, it was probably, you know, a handshake and then a dagger in the other one. Yeah, probably. Yeah, it, it feels like Blackbeard wasn't a big uh, wasn't a big bargaining dude. Well, I don't know if he had ulterior motives at the beginning, but by the end of this arrangement... Oh, he, he absolutely does. He certainly did. Um, so it, I know we've been misinformed, and I know we, we were talking last week about how it was... The management review from hell, Blackbeard being on the revenge and just kind of looming over Steed's shoulder. Yeah, we were a little brusque in that. Yeah, I, I, I think they may have been a little more congenial in their early early dealings. And I uncovered this, uh, an interesting theory as to why that may have been. There's a guy named Kevin Duffus who wrote a book called The Last Days of Blackbeard the Pirate. And he dismisses the traditionally held belief that Teach was from Bristol uh, in England and was instead Edward Beard, who was the son of a Captain James Beard from Charlestown, South Carolina. 
The Beard family emigrated to Charlestown from Barbados, where Captain Beard's brother, William, was the plantation overseer for Edward Bonnet, Steed's dad. So we can surmise that not only did the two know each other back in Barbados, that they may have actually had a family connection. That's a that's a bold statement. It's a bold statement. Now it's, it's difficult to prove, but I wanted to yeah. throw that in there because I think it's a very interesting. Yeah, theory. it's fascinating. That, that's a big paradigm shift on the mm-hmm. whole on the whole thing. Yeah. Whenever you got Blackbeard out there basically running the show and Steve Bonnet walking around reading books in his pajamas. <laughs> oh, he was doing that. <laughs> he definitely was but walking it, around reading books in his PJs. Yeah. Oh, it wasn't wasn't uncommon, and no. people were like frowning at him constantly and he's just taking his tea like this dude definitely drank with his pinky out like no doubt so the flotilla sets sail from Nassau and Steed is now having a great time he gets to rest he gets to he gets to read he gets to enjoy life on board a pirate ship and pretend he's a badass and jump on the enemy deck once they take a ship with ballroom blitz playing in his head and (laughs) And, He's uh, just jock jamming yeah. the whole thing. <laughs> but, but Teach does all the heavy workload from the quarter deck, and he a- appeared to at least feign to giving Steed a role in the decision making on board the ship, um, because you don't want to you don't want to cut out the idiot rich boy who gave you the nice fast ship with lots of guns. Um, and it's actually in this period that Steed is mentioned in the media of the time for the first time in the Boston newsletter. On board the pirate sloop is a Major Bennett. Well, I got that wrong, but but has no command. He walks about in his morning gown and then to his books, of which he has a good library on board. He was not well of his wounds that he received by attacking a Spanish man-of-war, which killed some twenty men. After putting into Providence, Providence Island, the place of rendezvous for the pirates, they out the aforesaid Captain Teach on board for this cruise. Once he recovered from his injuries, uh, however, Steed starts to kind of rankle about not having his full captaincy restored. Oops. Yeah, uh, sorry bro. (laughs) Uh, And Charles Johnson tells us, quote, To teach Bonnet's crew was joined in consortship, and Bonnet himself was laid aside. Notwithstanding, the sloop was his own. The major now saw his folly, but could not help himself, which made him melancholy. He reflected upon his past course of life and was confounded with shame when he thought upon what he had done. His behavior was taken little notice of by the other pirates, who liked him never the better for it, and he oft declared to some of them that he would gladly leave off that way of living, being fully tired of it, and he should be ashamed, uh, ashamed to see the face of any Englishman again. End quote. Now, fate somehow manages to intervene on Steed's behalf, though. Teach captures the Queen Anne's Revenge. Uh, we talked about that in the last episode. It becomes the biggest, baddest pirate ship probably in the entire hemisphere. So he leaves Bonnet to command the revenge once again and moves to his new flagship. Steed is eager to prove his mettle on the next cruise. It's now March 1718. We're six months into his career. They decide to split up to cover a larger area. Now in the Bay of Honduras, Steed gets his chance against a 400-ton merchantman called Protestant Caesar. Great name. little on the nose, but I like it. Great name. Uh, It's a vessel out of Boston, and if they'd managed to capture it, this would have made a very nice consort to the Queen Anne's Revenge. You can throw 25, 30 guns on it. Uh, now, using the advantage of in, in speed and crew size that he has, Steed engages the ship, and he manages to fuck it up completely. Yep. He has every advantage going into this fight. Yeah, he's got he's got the sun behind him. He's got the wind at his back. Everything's going really well. He's got a bigger crew. He's faster. All he has to do is make a quick boarding action, and it turns into a running gun battle, and he can't get aboard this ship. Yep. So Protestant Caesar gets away. Steed is, refor- is forced to return to Edward Teach, tail between his legs, and he is once again removed as captain of the, of, of the Revenge. Uh, Blackbeard puts his lieutenant in charge of the Revenge now. Yeah, his, his crew is not thrilled about this. Yeah. So it, it's... And keep in mind, these were very diplomatic sorts, which is mm-hmm. super weird for a bunch of like bloodthirsty murderers. But So Steed is put on the Queen Anne's Revenge as essentially a prisoner, and it's while he is on the Queen Anne's Revenge that he starts hearing of a pardon issued by... England's King George I, that all pirates who submit before uh, 5th of September 1718 get a blanket pardon from all the crimes they've committed whilst whilst as pirates. Uh, he discovers, however, that the pardon only applies to acts committed before the 5th of January, uh, nearly three months before the misadventure with the Protestant Caesar. And so now he has to resign himself to life as a rank-and-file pirate. Now, he's a gentleman. He's a wealthy country gentleman. He's never been rank-and-file in his entire life. Um... But he also happens to mention in a crew meeting 
his early luck hunting prizes off Charleston. And this sets in motion one of Blackbeard's most famous exploits, his blockade of Charleston Harbor, which he spent several weeks blockading the harbor of a major uh, colonial city, takes a whole bunch of ships, basically ransoms uh, the city, and manages to get a whole lot of wealth, a whole lot of supplies... And it's considered probably the high point of the Golden Age of Piracy by a lot of historians. Yeah. The biggest, boldest act by a pirate in this time. And he saved countless lives from the ravages of syphilis. Mm-hmm. God bless him. He's doing the Lord's work. So the blockade ends and Teach's flotilla sails towards North Carolina. Steed is suddenly given a gig. Teach appears to have seen the blockade as the high point of his career and decides, well, now that that's done, what can I possibly do? I'm going to take this pardon as well. So he tells Steed that he's going to travel that he's to travel to Bath, North Carolina, which is the capital of the colony at that point, in advance of teaching the rest of the pirates with a small cargo of sugar and molasses as an incentive for uh, Governor Charles Thug Life Eden. I love this dude. Which Big we are going to do an Chuck, episode baby. on. Big box Chuck. <laughs> uh, so he can use this bribe to overlook the timing of their indiscretion and sign the pardon for them as well. Now the next step of the plan is that he's then going to sail to St. Thomas. The island of St. Thomas, which is a uh, Danish colony at this point, and receive a Danish letter of mark to pursue Spanish shipping. So they're going to go legit again. They're going to keep doing what they've done, but they're going to keep, but they're going to keep it legit. Now let's let's back this up a little bit. Steed Bonnet was like, "Hey Blackbeard, do me a favor, keep an eye on my stuff, will you?" And Blackbeard's like, "Sure." So Steed goes. Now he's coming back. Well, we're getting to this. <laughs> We're getting to this. So he's gonna take so Steed's gonna take the revenge and he's gonna sail a bath. Well, what happens? Teach runs the Queen Hand's revenge aground at Topsail Inlet and breaks the keel. The ship is done for. Yeah, he trashed. We it. think it may have been intentional. Um, so Steed is still sent to visit Bath with the cargo and a few men, just in a tiny little boat. So he gets to Bath. Governor Eden happily accepts the bribe, signs pardons for all of them, even grants Teach and Bonnet's men certificates of safe conduct. Steed sails back to Topsail Inlet and finds that Teach has packed himself and all of their plunder onto his newest ship, the, the Adventure, and left, leaving the Revenge stripped of everything, everything of value. Everything he could possibly take, he took. Everything he of took value. a bunch of nails out of it. Yeah. <laughs> and then he takes them. And then he takes about twenty-five of Steed's men. Yeah, it's the rest of Steed's men. Puts them on a sandbar. <laughs> puts them on a maroons them on a sandbar. And I mean, fortunately for them, like it only took Steed two days. But they were just yeah. sitting on a sandbar for two days. Like, well, this is how this story ends. Can you imagine what Steve must have thought when he got into his cabin and realized that Blackbeard took his books? He took the books. Well, one assume. I, I, or, I can't, honestly, more likely. can't prove it, but these things he were probably worth a lot just of money. chucked them over the side. Well, no, books were worth a lot That's of money true. in the early 18th century. I mean, yes, you had printing and everything, but they were still valuable commodities. They're going to be worth a pretty yeah, penny. It was, it was more of a status symbol than it is now. Yeah. So... <laughs> He took the nails. It's like the what well, in True Lies. Uh, she took yeah. the free. She took the ice cream trays out of the freezer. freezer. <laughs> so Steed rescues his maroon men, puts everybody aboard the Revenge, and ignoring the fact that this ship has no provisions, and the more prudent course of action would be to go right to St. Thomas, ration the food out. He he can't get over the burning sting of Teach's treachery. Like oh, it's the best. <laughs> I can't help but laugh about this. Just just. Steed just in a house coat, just pacing the deck. How dare, dare he? he? How dare he disper- besmirch the bonnet name? Oh, but then, that dastardly villain. But then he hears from the captain of a small boat that teaches in Ocracoke Inlet. Sails up to Ocracoke, gets there to find that the adventurer and, and Teach have sailed away two yeah, days earlier. They're gone. So. Teach is headed to, headed to Bath to accept the pardon himself. Crew holds a meeting. They decide the only way to reprovision the ship is to head to the trade lanes outside of Virginia, which violates the pardon that Steed has in his pocket. Right. And that they're going to steal the food they need. Now, Teach unwillingly agrees, but he has three terms. That one, they compensate any ship they take the goods from with with what they're going to with what I don't know out of his pocket. I mean, the one the, they he did, must have had still had some cash on him. Yeah, he had to because he paid for they they did like board a ship yeah. and they took some food was well, salt pork and, and, and molasses and flour, and flour. And... but he paid the dude yeah paid it busted out the wallet pulled out some traveler's checks traveler's <laughs> doubloons <laughs> he got he's just making it rain so two steed is now referred to as captain thomas 
again, probably to try to give himself some deniability against future acts of piracy and try to convince whatever authorities that they may run into that he's still abided by the terms of the pardon. And that three, the revenge is renamed the Royal James. Uh, probably for the same reason. Yeah. But this is probably also a nod to Steed Bonnet's Jacobite leanings. Because um, Jacobite is after the Latin Jacobus for James. James. So, uh, James killing the first mate of a ship called the Francis, uh, which is a ship that Steve Bonnet's crew took soon after this, said, quote, So when they came into the cabin, they asked me what liquor I had on board. I told them some rum and molasses. So they made bowls of punch and went to drinking of the pretender's health, pretender, the pretender being James III, exactly. and hoped to see him king of the English nation, then sang a song or two. So... <laughs> So Steed's crew then... <laughs> Why did he feel the need to include that? I don't know. Hey, what do you got, man? I got some rum. You want to drink to the king? Hell yeah, yeah. bro. And then he just started singing. <laughs> so they go into this frenzy of capturing ships. They captured 13 ships in less than a month, which is a high rate of capture. Uh, so at the beginning of August, having acquired a preponderance of goods, uh, a lot of provisions, two no. more small prize vessels. And the thing is, and we didn't really touch on this before, and I, I don't, I'm not sure which ones happened, like like where these, what port of call they were from. Steed left calling card with ships that he captured from mm-hmm. Barbados. He burned them. Yes, every ship from Barbados, he burned them. Like well, it was like it was like Teach with ships out of Boston. Yeah. Yeah, he would. He torched every single one of them, whether it was a calling card or because like the dude had some like some pent up stuff going on in there. Torched every single one of them, and also Teach is one of the only. Or, I'm sorry, Bonnet is one of the only guys that I've ever found in any of the source material who actually made prisoners walk the plank. Mm-hmm. Like he goes nuts. Yeah, like, this he, is where he really starts to break. He down. goes off the deep end, and he's like he now he's developed this weird habit of just torturing everyone. Mm-hmm. Like, all your prisoners, he's torturing you. He's making people walk the plank. Yeah. What does that really accomplish? Yeah, it comes out in his trial that he starts to get very, very cruel with the prisoners he takes. Yeah, it was, like, whenever he swears revenge on Blackbeard, it goes into this really weird place. Something snaps. I don't know if it's a full psychotic break or what. I think it might have been. Now, I mean, It's probably because, like you said, for the first yeah. time, he was rank and file. Yeah. And this is all uncharted territory. So between a guy that might never have really, you know, matured. I don't he, think he was ever well. He might have gone a little, like, Michael Jackson here. Yeah, know, I don't, without I don't without the acute sleepovers. I don't think he was ever well. I think he just completely lost it here. That sounds right. But, so the beginning of August 1718, they take the two prize ships, all their goods, all their provisions, all their loot, and they sail up the Cape Fear River in North Carolina. They remain there for almost two months. Uh, now, since the blockade that Teach inflicted on Charlestown, the city had taken a lot of steps to make itself more defensible under the guidance of uh, Colonel Thomas Rett, the commander of its militia. And when the still-outraged citizenry received intelligence that a pirate vessel was holed up in the Cape Fear River, the citizenry, Colonel Rett, they go to Governor Nathaniel Johnson and ask that an expedition be outfitted to go capture them. So Colonel Rett puts together two eight-gun sloops and 130 men the sloops being the Henry and the Sea Nymph. And on September 26th, they enter the mouth of the Cape Fear River, and what became known as the Battle of the Sandbars begins. That's a fantastic name. Well, you'll see why in a minute. Yeah, it's just, it's such a cool name, though. Yeah. Contact being made on the following day, the 27th. Now, seeing that he was outnumbered and outgunned, Steed decides to try to take advantage of an ebbing tide and make a run for the open sea and avoid being boarded, because he's outnumbered heavily, he's outgunned. If he gets boarded, that's it. Yeah, the, the guy did have a reputation for running headlong into man of war. Mm-hmm. Like that's just it's not. It's not well, he's just going to try to blow past them and make a run. Yeah, it's, for it. it he's didn't not go well the last time he was he, ungu- he was outgunned. He he did learn from that mistake. Yes, and it's also Thomas Rhett and the citizenry. Whenever they heard that there was a pirate, it was supposedly a particularly fearsome and successful pirate. They thought it was Teach. They thought it was Teach or Charles Vane. Yeah. Nobody thought it was Bonnet, which is both of which, bigger both of which heads face. they wanted on a pike. Right. <laughs> so he's making a run for the open sea, and then the Royal James in the in the ebbing tide runs aground on a sandbar. So he's stuck. So the Henry comes up to try to board her. The Henry gets stuck on a sandbar. And the sea nymph, when going to move to help the Henry, gets stuck gets on stuck. a sandbar. <laughs> this is where the fight gets its name. <laughs> And it's not like they get stuck and, like, five minutes later, we're okay. No. 
It's ours. They got it's to ours. The you gotta wait to till high back. tide. You don't have to wait half the day until high tide comes. Was it the the sea nymph was the closer of the two or the, the Henry? Okay, they were in pistol shot. Yeah, they were very very close, and they both got and, and they both ran, ran aground with severe lists to starboard. Mm-hmm. So they both have batteries of cannons that they can't use against each other because Steed's Steed's cannons are going to fire right over the Henry. The Henry's cannons are going to fire right into the water and miss. Uh, and miss the Royal James completely, so it becomes a battle of small arms. Yeah, and the thing that works but out the Henry's in Steed's deck favor. is totally exposed. Exactly, they're just shooting at the the they're shooting at Steed's hull. Yeah, and they're leaning over the rail, shooting down onto exposed deck, and that's not pleasant. Now, it, so it's it, you are now in a situation where the person that's going to win this fight is the first person to refloat their ship. They've yeah, got to wait until high tide. So for five hours, this small arms duel goes on until the next high tide comes. And what's the first ship to float? The Henry. It's smaller, it has a shallow draft. It's lighter. So, and then the Sea Nymph also floats as well. They move in. They surround the Royal James, which is now getting up off its own sandbar. And then they start pumping cannon rounds into yeah, it that's, from two that's, sides. Could you imagine watching that? <sighs> Like, Imagine though, being like, on it. Yeah, that would be that would not be pleasant. It's at it's all. it's hell in an area the size of a school bus. Right. It's it's terrible. And this is where we see some of that psychosis out of Steed. Uh, I don't know if it was courage. I don't know if it was rage, adrenaline, and unwillingness to go to the hangman's noose. Steed starts walking around the deck with two pistols drawn, stating that he was going to detonate the Royal James Powder Store and destroy the entire ship and the crew rather than face justice. And that he was going to shoot any man that attempted to stop him. But his crew uh, either called his bluff or didn't hear him in the din of battle. And they run up a flag of surrender. So all of these men... It was probably the bluff. Yeah, probably the bluff. And so they decide they'd rather face justice. Uh, Losses in the battle are a total of 12 killed and 18 wounded for the Carolinians. And a total of 7 killed and 5 wounded for uh, Steed Bonnet's men. So on October 3rd, they sail into Charleston. Steed with the 35 men captured with him. They're thrown into jail, although Steed, even though his, uh, yeah, either because of his status as a gentleman or more likely to stop him conspiring with the crew before trial, is held in finer accommodations at the home of Nathaniel Partridge, the uh, uh, the province's provost marshal, basically the person in charge of justice. Think the head of South Carolina's Justice Department. Yeah. That's the equivalent job. Yeah, and it's just because Steed's a wealthy guy, he can't send him to regular people jail. He's got to go to fancy man jail. Now, he's joined there by his bosun, a guy named Ignatius Pell, and David Harriet, his sailing master, who both of whom had agreed to testify against the pirates in return for a certain amount of immunity. And on October 21st, news arrives that a pirate by the name of Christopher Moody, who we're going to cover in the future, mm-hmm. is off of Charleston Bar. He's preying on vessels, and he's not likely to attempt any kind of rescue. He might not have even known that Steed was in Charleston. Maybe. But three days later, disguised as women... <laughs> Wearing some of Mrs. Partridge's shawls. <laughs> this is, guys. This is. Such, I have it. I got a this plan. Is, this is such Bugs Bunny <laughs> shit. I love it. So Steve and, and David Harris is dressed like a sexy girl bunny. <laughs> they managed to sneak out of the house at nighttime. They're just walking through the streets, going, "Oh, don't mind us." <laughs> it's just. It's so Monty Python. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that Steed is a very naughty boy. They're just talking about like how how hot and sexy Steed Bonnet is. <laughs> <laughs> so they make it down the streets. They get over the Palisade Wall, and they have a canoe waiting for them, supplied by a guy named Richard Tukerman, who was a sympathetic merchant because he was a fence for stolen and smuggled goods. Exactly. He was. He was. Uh, he, he got had, rich off of pirates. Exactly. He had some ties to guess who? Yeah. Charles Eden. Yeah. <laughs> And so they, they go to Sullivan's Island off the coast of Carolina, and they make camp, and they try to come up with the next steps. Now, I, I think whenever we say off the coast, it sounds like it's far. You no. can see it. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're... It's still there. If you've ever been to Charleston, it's... You know where Fort Sumter is? Yes. It's it's right there. It's right there. It's about as far away from the coast as Fort Sumter. It's yeah. a mile. You can see it mm-hmm. from the beach. Yeah. It's not hard to get to at all. So, this big hue and cry goes up over the escape of, bon- of Bonnet and Harriet. A 600-pound reward, $160,000 in today's money, is offered for their recapture. M. Partridge loses his job as provost marshal because <laughs> when they escape your house, you don't get to keep that job. Yeah. I'm sorry. 
Uh, and so the search for Bonnet goes on, uh, but the trial date of Bonnet's other men is pushed forward, and a vice admiralty court is convened on October 28th, with a fellow named Judge Nicholas Trott presiding. Uh, it's important to note that this probably wasn't a very fair trial, uh, because Trott had a reputation for being a self-righteous bully, very religious, and the entire jury is made up of wealthy merchants, most of whom probably had lost money due to piracy at some point in the recent past. So, a bit a bit biased. Little bit. Little bit. Little bit. So in the course of an eight-day trial, 29 of the 33 men were found guilty of piracy and sentenced to death. On November 8th, all 29 went to their deaths dancing the hempen jig. Now, eventually somebody noticed the campfire smoke coming off of the northern tip of Sullivan's Island. <laughs> and on November 6th, they get Colonel Rhett and another band of men in small boats. They dispatch them to the island. They sneak up on Steed's campsite. Steed sees them, fires a pistol, and then gets 30 muskets fired back at him. Yeah. They miss Steed completely. Which, I know, that guy's luck. Who, uh, who knows why. They shoot David Harriet in the head and kill yeah, him he gets he, Harriet's put down. And a couple slaves as well that were attending the camp, probably mm-hmm. some of Richard Tuckerman's slaves. And Steed surrenders to Colonel Rhett for the second time. Now, this time, there's not going to be an escape. No. Steed's trial is convened on November 10th. He enters a plea of not guilty on both of the main charges he was up against, uh, charging for piracy of the two ships they could prove that he took. This is while he's feverishly writing off like these really pathetic letters to people, including to Rhett. Yeah, including like, Colonel Rhett and Governor Johnson. And, and Rhett... At one point, felt so bad. He said, "Like this letter was so pathetic." He offered to take Steed Bonnet to London yeah. for another trial, which we don't get to yeah. that. But Red, the man that caught him twice, who is you know a, a very skilled pirate hunter, felt so bad for this dude. He's like, "Let's let's just go. Like, yeah. I'll, I'll put him on my boat. Let's he, get him." He had a here. lot of he had a lot of people in Charleston that were very sympathetic to him because mm-hmm. he's this Robin Hood figure. And like if Robin Hood sucked, well, if Robin Hood sucked it, and then went nuts and like started ripping out people's fingernails and then making them walk the plank, and was also you know rich himself. Now what I he he writes this incredible letter to Governor Johnson that I'm not going to read here, but what I what we will do is I'm going to do a little dramatic reading of it, and I think we're probably going to post it on social media, (laughs) and I think that's going to be really we can do that for YouTube. Yeah, we'll put that on our YouTube page. Look for that on our YouTube and look for that on our Instagram. Yeah. I think that'll be fun. I know we, we plan on going to the baseball game tonight because it's talk like a pirate day. Maybe we'll do that at the baseball game. Oh, perhaps. I'll bring the book with me. Yeah. So, trial starts on November 10th. Steed enters a plea of not guilty on both charges, spends the entire day passionately denying his guilt, despite the testimony of Ignatius Pell, the captains and first mates of both of the prizes that he was officially charged with taking. Steed calls one witness in his defense, a young man who witnessed the signing of the pardon and the note of safe conduct from Governor Eden. And Steed summarized his defense thus, and this is from the court transcripts. Do you want to... Uh, give me an example of a Steed Bonnet voice. Oh, 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 Governor, please. Please, I beg of you. All right, we're going with Stewie Griffin here. All right, very good. Like and I it, said, and it was going to be like Stewie, but slightly more effeminate. <laughs> and it follows... May it please your honors and the rest of the gentlemen, though I must confess myself a sinner and the greatest of sinners, yet I am not guilty of what I am charged with. As for what the boatswain says relating to several vessels, I am altogether free, for I never gave my consent to any such actions, for I often told them if they did not leave off committing such robberies, I would leave the sloop and desired them to put me on shore." As for Captain Mannering, I assure your honors it was contrary to my inclination. When I cleared my vessel at North Carolina, it was for St. Thomas, and I had no other end or design in view but to go there for a commission. But when we came to sea and saw a vessel, the quartermaster and some of the rest held a consultation to take it, but I opposed them and told them again I would leave the sloop and let them go where they pleased. For as the young man said, I had my clearance for St. Thomas." I just realized who our Steed Bonnet sounds like. Oh, God, who? George Takei. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my. Oh. <laughs> that wasn't my I'm intent. Sorry. I'm that wasn't sorry my intent. I am a big fan of George, and I really I, hope I he never hears too. that. Oh, God. I just... Oh, my. Oh, my. <laughs> so... <laughs> And the podcast has come off the rails at the 44-minute mark. Oh, so, alas, the jury's unmoved. 
At the end of the day, the foreman returned a verdict of guilty on the first count. Now, the court reconvened the next day to try him on the second account. He changes his plea to guilty. Sentence of death by hanging is passed down immediately, with Judge Trott reminding Steed that, Being a gentleman that hath had the advantage of a liberal education, and being generally esteemed a man of letters, I believe it will be needless for me to explain to you the nature of repentance and faith in Christ, they being so fully and so often mentioned in the scriptures, that you cannot but know them. And he ends with the proclamation, That you... The said steed bonnet shall go from hence to the place from whence you came, and from thence to the place of execution, where you shall be hanged by the neck till you are dead, and the God of infinite mercy be merciful unto your soul. Fun fact, this is still how they do it in Texas. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, it's still a quote. And And so it came to be that on December 10th, 1718, steed bonnet, gentleman pirate, Misadventurer extraordinaire, Captain Bumblefuck himself. Your boy, your boy, Steed. Steed. Was hanged at White Point in Charleston. And that's the Steed Bonnet story. Oh man, it's so good. It's so good. It's so good because dude just sucks. Yeah, it's so good. He ended up being much more of a sympathetic figure than I. Uh, I did feel like the more we got into it, like I kind of felt I felt bad for the. Yeah, dude I feel a little and... bad for him because he's clearly not well. Yeah, they're, like, he, he was he ends not up, banging on all eight cylinders. Yeah, and he ends up subject to the machinations of other people, which he he walked into a little too easily. Mm-hmm. And also, it was like it was like cabin boy if they went to Nassau <laughs> instead of Hawaii. Oh no, <laughs> a fancy lad. Fancy lad. <laughs> what the hell was? What did they sail across with all the monsters in it in Cabin Boy? <sighs> Hell's bucket. Hell's right? bucket. Thank you. I, is that right? Because if it's not, like I'm going to get a tweet about that. Well, I don't know. I, I, I think we're going to get like the one seen... the one Cabin Boy fan. I'm going to like, watch he's Cabin be Boy again. Off. I haven't seen it in a really really long Where, time. Is it like online? Can we stream it? Do I have to buy it? I might own it on VHS. To I don't be know. honest with you, we'll, we'll find it. We'll find it. If somewhere. you guys have not seen Cabin Boy, I'm telling you, watch you some Cabin yeah. Boy. But also, let's think about what we've learned from the Steed Bonnet story. And I think that that is being rich doesn't qualify you to do a certain job. And I think that's can't all be Batman. And I think that's really important (laughs) to state this day and age. (laughs) And guys, I think that's going to wrap it up for today. Uh, Thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the story of Steed Bonnet as much as we did. And, it, and our reference to Cabin Boy. Yeah. Uh, stay tuned for that little dramatic reading of his letter to Governor Johnson of Yeah, South we'll figure Carolina. out where we put that together because I think that's going to be fun. Yeah, that's going to be a good time. Uh, thanks again always to our friends the Bloody Seamen, Pittsburgh's premier purveyors of pirate punk, for their, our, uh, for allowing us to use their songs at the intro and at the end. Go on iTunes, find both of their albums, follow them on social media. Uh, speaking of social media, Chris, where can the good folks out there find us on social media? Well, I tell media? you what, if you want to look us up, uh, you can find us on Twitter at PodcastTRR. We update that one pretty regularly. Uh, we're going to be dropping all our stuff from there. We are not on the big majors yet. Uh, that is subject to change. We're just trying to get some content under our belt, so you can find us on our SoundCloud page. Uh, you can go ahead and search us on Facebook. On Facebook, you're going to see a lot more of our... Uh, Basically, the show notes. We're putting all our stuff up there. You're going to see the pictures. You're going to see a couple of the links. Mm-hmm. Uh, even Again, the I'll, share, I'll share links to all of the source material. I'm going to post a photo of Steed Bonnet's flag. Uh, I'm going to post another little photo of Steed Bonnet showing off the goods. I found another really good one. Yeah, the, like the woodcutting his is great, but the other one with the mustache. Oh yeah. Did you see? Like oh, that it looks. <laughs> it's like a cross between Raleigh Fingers and Salvador Dali. It's great. Uh, so go ahead and find us there, uh, and also uh, on Instagram at TRR Podcast, uh, you can find us there. So we're going to be posting some pictures and some short videos. We'll probably put the uh, the dramatic reading on there if we can keep it fairly short. Um, but definitely find us on YouTube. Uh, if you don't want to get SoundCloud, which there's really no excuse for, it's free. Come on, people. Uh, you can find all of the audio to our episodes on YouTube. So you can you can look us up there at TRR Podcast. Or, uh, um, sorry, that one's actually under Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades. Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades. We get to use our, our the full name. whole long name, thanks mm-hmm. to the, our good friends at YouTube. So you can search us there and watch all the episodes we've posted thus far. We'll be putting a couple videos up there. So we're going to keep that one updated. There's some fun stuff. Yep. You can also find me on Instagram at MeatNeck and on Twitter at MeatNeck2. You can find me on Instagram at Nightlife Commando. And if you really want to say hi on Twitter, 
Uh, you can find me running the Renegades of the Rotunda page at PGH Renegades. All right. So we invite you to join us next time where we're going to break down a little bit of the difference between pirates and privateers. Yes, they are different things. They are quite different, but also very similar in some respects. So yeah, we're going we've been to take talking a, a lot time. about it. It's, it's only fair that we kind of hash it out a little bit. Yep, we're going to take some time to go over that. Everybody, thank you once again for listening. I'm Rob North. And I am Chris Miller. Until next time, we invite you, as usual, with us, you, and your boy, Steve, to hold fast.